0: Well today on Rebuilders we continue the conversation about neoliberalism but looking at the way that it spawns burnout culture.
1: But our culture is a topic that is everywhere. Mm. And uh, more and more people are sort of wondering, am I burnt out? The great pause of COVID caused people to rethink and we saw see all kinds of things from go slow, work your wage. This week we saw snail girl. (laughs) Um, Yeah, when should you retreat? When should you rest? Um, And how does neoliberalism shape all of this? And what if there's actually more going on than perhaps seems like it on the surface?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting episode and uh, we are ready to get into it. Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel. How are you both today?
1: We are good. Yep. Yep. Doing I'm great. I'm speaking on your behalf. <laughs> 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 I affirm that. Um, oh, but absolutely. something, we, we, we're good because we are celebrating because something happened. <laughs> it
2: was. It wasn't that I washed my hair this week. Did you? No, I didn't. Have I was, you oh, washed your okay. hair since no, our previous no. episode? No, I'm standing with my. All oh, right. With my position on okay, hair Okay, so that's not what we're celebrating. Actually, oh, sorry. Just oh, sorry, to
0: <laughs> No, don't apologize. Go here. on.
2: I did have a number of people, like on my side, affirming. What rebuilders
1: of- listeners.
0: Yeah. So and have you got you
1: your own little emails you're getting from our <laughs> listeners that you just keep in your own folder and of like and unwashed follicles?
2: <laughs> no, and the, there's this whole like thing against like big pharma or something. Oh come on, man.
1: Come on, man. We know where this goes.
2: <laughs> anyway, anyway. So anyway. Uh I haven't washed my hair since the last episode. <laughs> Did the World Good Economic for Forum um you know, <laughs>
1: like like control us from our hair washing? Daniel will be starting uh, his own podcast uh, <laughs> called the, interna- you know, the Pushback Against the International Conspiracy of Shampoo.
0: <laughs> one to look forward to. Endorsed yeah. by the
1: WHO. Yeah, WHO, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Uh, big, no, it should be called Big Shampoo, <laughs> not Big Pharma, Big Shampoo. <laughs> I don't know Big Pharma one of those big kind of multi-billion dollar. Yeah, I started of-
0: watching that video that you sent through to us.
1: That was good,
2: wasn't it? I I refuse
1: because I can spot disinformation (laughs) from a mile away.
0: uh,
2: Very good. Alas. Alas. There is
1: some other even bigger news. Yeah. Yeah, this is some real news. (laughs) Yeah. This is not a conspiracy.
0: No. Well, I don't think it is. Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I got engaged. Woo.
1: Uh Yeah. 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 Congratulations. Thank
0: you. I'm trying to do like
1: crowd noises going mad, but there's only- (sighs) Me and Daniel.
0: <laughs> That's oh, it's very impressive. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. The other weekend. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yep. And for our listeners, uh, who is the uh, lucky <laughs> lucky man?
0: Uh, Stephen. He he's semi on team. So he works for twenty four seven prayer Australia. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah, Pretty man. happy.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. we're happy, and we we fully endorse. <laughs> <laughs> we fully endorse this. It's- he uh, does right,
0: wash his right. hair also, which is does nice, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. what
1: you're looking for, really?
0: Yeah, that was the starting point. <laughs> yeah, that's We're what
1: you're looking for awesome. in a fellow human being. <laughs> <laughs> Happy
0: yes, I will spend my life with you because on you wash your life. hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you going to run
2: into your vows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yes, it's already in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, In washing, In
1: washing day and non-washing day. <laughs>
0: Uh, Oh, wow. Well, I think, you know, it's maybe time to get into the episode. Uh, So, we didn't record last week, but we're back uh, recording this week. We have been talking for a while in our previous episodes about neoliberalism um, and when that emerged and the impact that it's had on culture. Today, we're going to be focusing on how neoliberalism has spawned burnout culture. Yes, Um, very linked. Yes, and... You're going to sort of explore a few yeah. aspects of burnout that, yeah. that don't often get talked about.
1: Yeah. It, it, and I think as people listen to this, they'll start to see the sort of, evidence of evidences of this all over the place. So yeah. just to, you know, people have joined us late in the game, um, which people do, um, the – term neoliberalism refers to, I guess, the economic and political order that really has emerged in the world since, you know, the sort of like, you know, you could sort of argue the end of the sort of 70s up until recently, I think we're coming to the sort of possibly the end of it, um, but really it's sort of an economic order which, you know, believes that they sort of economy is um, the best thing to sort of, you know, drive society. But also alongside that, there's a lot of sort of government control also of the economy. And we saw this sort of revolution with Ron Reagan, Margaret Thatcher as sort of mediating institutions were sort of pushed back on and a kind of sort of radical individualism was encouraged and uh, that would drive the low productivity that the West was experiencing. But very much uh, in the background of that story is also the story of burnout. Mm. And burnout is a word that we use a lot and particularly since, you know, I think the last couple of years you've heard the term burnout used. But in many ways it begins to sort of emerge in the 80s and it parallels um, uh, the emergence of uh, sort of the high performance culture that neoliberalism encourages. And you begin to see these stories in the press in the 1980s of executives Mm. and they call things like the yuppie flu Um, and sort of burnout and fatigue and stress that's created by operating at a really high level and working lots of hours. You know, there's definitely sort of a cultural shift that begins to happen in the 1980s and, uh, you know, you can even see this in sort of popular music as sort of bands begin to, you know, dress uh, in suits and slick their hair back and almost sort of the character Gordon Gecko from Wall Street becomes almost the mm. sort of icon. He was actually a sort of a cautionary mm-hmm. figure that Oliver Stone created, but, um, you know, you begin to see this sort of high performance becomes part of the culture, but it's very much still in the space of work. Yes. You know, and all of a sudden you've got the executive who's working long hours and traveling lots but also playing squash and jogging and, you know, there's almost sort of a warrior element to it, you know, even yes. think of like women's fashion and, and men's suits with, you know, shoulder pads yes. and, yes. you know, sort of going into battle and corporate takeovers and it's very sort of uh, ego-driven and it's sort of like a sort of uh, dominant sort of uh, almost war sort of vision, you know, Mm. and, um, you know, and yeah, so these articles start to come about people having heart attacks, people becoming burnt out. Um, Now you can go back a little bit earlier, like, you know, you begin to have in that sort of 19th century uh, sort of reports as the contemporary world begins of conditions like, I think they call it neurosthenia. Um, which was sort of like uh, this sort of new kind of condition that you know, people in places like economic and financial centres like New York and, and the City of London experienced as they worked so much and dealt with lots of information in this new non-stop world, which mm. the telegraph ticker explaining what the New York Stock Exchange kept going you know, in London after people you know, clocked off at 5pm or whatever. Um, and a lot of the sort of early language around this was also sort of linked to some sort of pseudoscience like yeah. the sort of science of vitalism that people believed that there was sort of these different energies inside people, and managing those energies was really important. Um, so yeah, you get to um, uh, sort of the eighties, and yeah, there's a sort of culture around people, and there's all kinds of like corporate retreat centres start to mm. emerge, um, places like the Essel and. Uh, Institute in in uh, Northern California, which sort of takes almost this, it starts as almost a sort of counterculture, hippie sort of retreat center, but then they start to open up to sort of executives and yuppies and you sort of get this like almost a lifestyle executive sort of like high performance sort of way of living your life. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of like the, st- the first most basic understanding I would give sort of like burnouts of working mm. too much in high high pressure, stressed environments, you know, and and you see this in places like Japan where you had the salary men who were, you know, the stories in Japan of people, you know, who would work 12 hours and then commute, you know, two hours and then drop dead at their desk, you know, some sort of burnout and sort of that Japan was a country very much shaped by neoliberalism and had a very large corporate structure as Japan was economically growing in the 1980s. Um, and there was a book, you know, this very much came into, you know, as Christian started to look at a lot of business literature in mm-hmm. the 1980s around getting tips of how to lead. And I think it was Arch Hart. Can I get a fact check on this? Arch Heart, I think it was a, a professor at Fuller looking at, I think it was maybe like counseling or, or psychology um, at, at Fuller, you know, wrote a book on adrenaline and, right. uh, you know, how basically you can become burnt out when your adrenal system uh, sort of diminishes and the idea that, you know, humans are built to, you know, this the flight or fight mechanism and, and what this sort of like high levels of working was doing was meaning we were burning out the adrenaline that was used for fight, flight or fight situations. Yeah. Um, is that correct, Daniel? Is that Arch yeah, Hart? Yeah, Archibald um, Hart. He was the, uh,
2: served at the faculty full of seminary psychology and marriage and fam- family therapy.
1: Yeah, and I think he wrote in that book, you know, he talked about stuff. I think one of the points he made was that a lot of uh, ministers and pastors commit moral failures or have these sort of down moments on Monday after the adrenaline of Sunday is, mm. has crashed and then they're more likely to do something. So, you know, he recommended, he sort of encouraged lots of pastors to change their day off from Monday to Friday, you know. So if you ever had that idea, that that's really where the origins of that. Mm. Um, so that's sort of like our – sort of basic, been around for a while understanding of burnout culture. Um, but uh, I want to sort of explore some other elements because I think that's early neoliberalism, mm. um, but things have changed. But yeah. many people as we talk about burnout culture still bring that framework to it, basically yeah. working too hard under too much stress for too long.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the next one that you want to unpack yeah, is- the Burnout of overabundance.
1: Yeah, so I think what happens is we begin to move away from this overwork. Are there still people who are experiencing that one hundred percent? But definitely, you begin to sort of see, uh, uh, you know, a pushback around working so many hours. You know, I think France. I can't remember when it's was like seven years ago, began to sort of look at a reduced hour week, you know. So the sort of world was changed by the invention of the 40-hour week, which I think actually started in Melbourne, if I'm wrong, if I could be wrong about that, this concept that workers should only work 40 hours a week, should have, mm-hmm. you know, Saturday and all this sort of stuff. So... Um, And France, you know, I think was exploring the thirty-hour week, or people looking at four-day weeks. So there's, you know, there's a question around. I think France also instigated some laws around you couldn't bosses couldn't email people, you know, outside of working hours and stuff like this. So you start to see in the literature sort of a pushback on this working too many hours. But then, as we sort of get into you know the later stages of neoliberalism, one of the things that neoliberalism does, particularly aligned with the birth of, you know, internet, social media, and particularly online shopping, is this sense that people become burnt out by overabundance. Mm. Uh, Bing Chu Han wrote a book called Burnout Society, which I think I quoted back in maybe Disappearing Church, uh, the book I wrote several books ago, you know, and he talks about the fact that neoliberalism, he also wrote another book called Psychopolitics, which talks about this, that uh, in more in depth as it links to neoliberalism. But uh, in a sense, society moved from, you know, what Foucault called a disciplinary society where you were kept in check of told what to do. There were taboos to a society which is more based around an excess of freedom. Mm. So in this society of excess freedom, there was more and more opportunities to do things. We've talked also about that sort of economic period, you know, uh, Mervyn Bragg, i uh, say Mervyn Bragg, Melvin King, the former uh, chancellor of the Bank of England, you know, talked about, um, you know, the nice period, knowing. N- inflation, constant expansion. And during that time as China bought a lot of products online, the internet boom, uh, you know, there was sort of this period of economic sort of growth in the West. There was just more and more consumer items to buy, but not only more and more consumer items to buy, because what the internet did is the natural boundaries that were around the experience of shopping disappeared. Yeah. So, in the past, you know, you might still spend all day at the mall, but there was a point where the mall shut. Whereas what online shopping did uh, is that it brought the endless possibility of continually going through options, yes, um, and uh, almost exhausting yourself. So. Uh, I think it was Barney Schwartz um, wrote a book called The Choice Paradox. And he talked about the fact that we were being almost oppressed by too much choice. Mm. So, another form of burnout is the burnout that has come in later neoliberalism of overabundance, where you want to go on a holiday. And in the past, if you want to go into a holiday, you go to your local travel agent and you'd book it and they go, here's the things, you might come back, get your ticket. Yeah. Uh, you might have a brochure you look at, but there's a point where you get to the end of the brochure. But now you want to book the holiday. You're booking the flights online, you're looking at TripAdvisor, you're you're looking at what hotels, and then you see something on Instagram about, don't go to this hotel. Yep. And it just becomes this hugely exhausting thing, whether you're booking a holiday, buying a new car, borrowing a pair of trousers, uh, that there's this sense of overabundance. It's of the restaurant you should go to in the city which restaurant which cuisine which Mm. part of the city do you want to go to your friend said this you read this you know it's just this constant overabundance everywhere
0: yeah and i think i've been uh, reflecting on this the last couple of weeks and seeing it for myself and for others it feels like it's more magnified now that we are you know a couple of years out of COVID, where for a period of time we weren't as overwhelmed with those choices. Like yes. I get up in the morning and I'm going to work from home mm-hmm. and I'm going to eat at home mm. and, you know, just go about this very uh, contained life. Mm. But now that everything's returned, it's almost like you the rose-coloured glasses are off and you're seeing life for what it is yes. and all of these constant demands and you just feel so exhausted. Mm. And I've regularly found myself being like, Why am I so tired? Mm. I was never like this before. And, you know, Mm. I'm getting older, so maybe Mm. that's a contributing factor. I'm willing (laughs) to acknowledge that. Mm. But, um, yeah, like how much is, is this notion of overabundance?
1: impacting us. And so, you know, it's been an economy of overabundance and that will create problems of overabundance. And, you know, like I think you bring up a really good point here though that we've seen an increase in the conversation around burnout culture with the pause that happened because of COVID. Mm. Because I think when people are in the midst of it all, you don't notice it, it's what you do. And then people stopped and then it was a moment of re-examination that occurred. and. Also, there was a kind of acceleration that did occur because you couldn't go to, you know, a store to look at something. Yeah. You know, during COVID yeah. there was also any, there was a slowing down but also an acceleration of online yes. um, which happened as That's well. That's true. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's look at the third one. So firstly we had working too many hours. Then we've got the burnout of overabundance and now the burnout of self-creation.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that sort of, you know, we talked previously about neoliberalism and the second individualism. The second individualism, the first individualism was people moving from a very rigid hierarchical order where they discovered self mobility and a freedom from the way those that were defined by that rigid, you know, rigid order, which, you know, we see in the 1700s, 1800s. But in the sort of second individualism, um, really, the individual is you know free to self-create, mm. and this is very much encouraged. So the individual is constantly working at the project of self-creation. How do others see me? What is my identity? Uh, I'm no longer uh, defined in the same way by where I was born and and you know uh, sort of you know th- these issues which were inherited. Now you can shape them yourself and again to consumer culture the internet has just accelerated this so this constant sense that we're on a stage we're constantly being mm. examined we're mm-hmm. constantly putting out an image to the world yes um, in you know sort of the beginnings of you know the first stages of neoliberalism very much marketing comes into its fore And public relations and companies and causes market themselves to the world. But in later sort of neoliberalism, the individual markets themselves to the world. And you have to self-present your own personal private uh, public relations firm. Mm. And I think people don't realize how exhausting this is. So the work of self-creation never stops, Mm. uh, you know, because fads and fashions come and go, Yeah, you know, uh, issues even are linked, you know, like what is this particular political issue that I'm going to, what would that say about myself versus it just being about the issue in itself? And, you know, the culture has no lack of generating new identities, uh, new opportunities for you to broadcast yourself. um, And this is also a kind of work. And what's interesting as well is I realized this is what this does, like think about this, it turns pleasure into work hmm.
2: Hmm.
1: because just say you've got an incredible meal, just say, you know, 20 years ago you're invited to an incredible meal and it's just fantastic and you're with these great people and the sun's going down perfectly and you're there and you, you – The only way to live through that moment is to experience it. And if it's pretty darn good, you just go, okay, well, I'm going to take this in and and appreciate it. But now because you have the ability to broadcast that, Mm. how do you capture it? You know, Mm -hmm. and you know, you now see when you sort of travel around the world at different sort of tourist hotspots, or you see (laughs) in a restaurant when someone has a fantastic meal brought before them, or you see a beautiful sunset, you see people laboring (laughs) to take the right photo to capture that and communicate that. And so basically, pleasure gets turned into content creation. Yeah. And creation is a form of work. And so, even this form of people almost performing to, the way you should be responding to a moment of pleasure. So they become scripted, you know, here's me at the at the festival. Oh, we're having a great time here. I'm at the Taylor Swift concert. I'm so happy, do you know what I mean? Like, and it's just a fascinating dynamic where it actually starts to work against the sort of early modern, I'm not so much, you know, like, First stage neoliberalism was very much around hedonism, and you know, where this is still hedonistic, but it's like a rote form of hedonism, and it's a work of hedonism where pleasure must be done, you know. And classic, I mean, the classic example to me was Burning Man this year where it was oh, yeah. flooded and horrendous, you know, and there was sort of people, there was like some Aussies wrote some article for the paper, like, we're at Burning Man, but we're still just trying to enjoy ourselves. We, it was almost them saying, we are enjoying ourselves. This is a, this, you know, this is the Lord of the Flies, but please understand Australia, we flew all the way over here, but we're still enjoying it, you know, and I was like, <laughs> this is just exhausting. <laughs> so there's an exhaustion that comes from the pursuit of pleasure, but the pursuit of pleasure as part of your self-creation.
0: Mm. And it's, and it's kind of like a, um, a, a vicious cycle, right, because we then consume that, that which others are putting out there and then feel inclined to do the same. Yes. And then there's just this yes. never-ending hamster wheel yes. of creation that doesn't achieve anything.
1: And and there's also an exhaust 100%. There's also an exhaust. Yeah, so it's a hamster because it, it disappears mm. like it's it's ephemeral, like yeah. it's digital, yes. like. Um, yeah. And you know, in three years, no one cares. You know, yeah. like, um, you know, you may look back on your iPhone memories. Something comes up, and you know, but the legitimacy of that information, uh, I mean, Douglas Rushkoff talked about in his book Future. Was a future shock, I think, or uh, wasn't future shock because that was Alvin Toffler. He wrote a book on this idea that information in the digital age has relevance for just a moment. Yes. You know, and, you know, I've talked before about the guy who live tweeted the US raid on Bin Laden's uh, sort of hiding place in Abbottabad in Pakistan, how for a moment everyone was looking at his Twitter account but and he got all these followers, but as soon as that event was over, he became irrelevant. Yes. But for a moment, he was important because he had, like, it was new. There was a novelty to the information he creates. Yeah. So, same thing. Yeah, no one cares if you're at the concert 10 years later. You might, but you know they go back to being your memories. But for a moment, they're relevant. So, you got to drive it and, you know, where it goes that viral yeah. moment. What was the book you wrote? Uh, uh, third Wave? No.
2: Power Shift, Revolutionary no. Wealth, War and Anti War. Creating a New Civilization. Oh, he's written lots of books. lots of books. We'll put it in the we'll put in it? notes. will put it, Douglas? What was his name? Douglas saying? Rushkoff. Oh, hang on. I'm looking at Alvin Toffler, sorry.
1: No, not Alvin Toffler. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I was just uh, going to say yeah, as well,
2: just it. on that, I had an example this last week. Where you were talking about the cyclical thing. Yeah, yeah. I suppose from a different angle, um, I was went on a trip up to Sydney and was driving up there and um, was just um, on the call with someone while I was driving and I was just saying, oh, I'm driving through country New South Wales and da. da, da, da. And they're like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> and then and I kind of like, oh, interesting comment. And then later on, I was at a brewery having a beer. And um, sent, sent a picture of, of, hey, I'm having about this this person really likes craft beer and whatever. And their response was, oh, so jealous. Wish I could be there. Mm. And it just, it just kind of struck me. I'm like, oh, that's such a for me, like as it's Kind of a little bit of it, it's not, a, it's kind of like the likes, I suppose, and the comments, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just in a relationship with someone I know, but it's kind of that dopamine, like, yes, oh, okay. yes, but, but
0: it, yeah, something that I'm doing is of value to someone, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And but it's just interesting, like, even just the word jealous, I'm like, that's actually, well, that's not a good word, no, but we no, somehow that's now become a positive, yeah. yes, way yes. of kind of engaging and, like, affirming someone. Mm. Yeah. i like, I feel jealous because you're doing that. Mm. Um, anyway, it's just an interesting kind of moment. Yes. And mm. just how these things that are, they actually begin to shape our identity and they're not good
0: things. Yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I think it kind of comes back to something that we talked about early on, like a number of months ago when um, you are talking about the nature of competition and mm. how neoliberalism has yes, um yes. Yeah, kind of made us compete socially Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, In so many different yes. contexts. It's kind of that.
1: Which is burns you out. Yeah. Like if you're continually at <laughs> war, social war, or continually competing, that is exhausting because you can never rest. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting, too. I'll come back to that point. Let me make a point about Sabbath sure. in a second. Um, one other point I wanted to add, too, was. Um, I think someone wrote in Daniel to us and just asked the question around shame and how you know, uh, particularly this is some of these issues we're talking about links back to shame and particularly in sort oh, of yeah, yeah. cultures like Chinese cultures or Korean cultures, uh, Japanese cultures, which have been shaped by Confucian thought, and you know very much. Um, I think that people are right. I've had multiple people notice this. We're almost returning to a kind of honor shame culture, but how I would say it's different to sort of Confucian concepts of shame, and Confucian is, you know, to the um, classical Chinese philosopher Confucius, um, uh, is that that's almost a disciplinarian society concept of shame Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. this person has shame because they broke that taboo or they they didn't live up to the family's expectation in this or here's this cultural norm that has been broken. And then often that is fear around exclusion. Um, or exclusion for one's wider sort of family group or people group that you're part of. What this is based around is less a sort of disciplinary society. It's more the shame that what I'm projecting to the world doesn't align up with the reality. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, you know, uh, the the mother and father who are filming their kids who are at the park for Instagram and it all looks amazing and then on the way home, you know, the kids are, Acting up and it's a nightmare, and someone sees them and they're like, Oh wow, what I'm putting out doesn't align with who I really am. Yes. Um, and that I think it's more around the shame. It's a more a neoliberal competition. Yes. I'm a fraud because I put this out to the world and it's not really yeah. true. And yeah. someone may discover that and I'm yeah. gonna get caught out. So it's less I'll get caught out and bring shame upon my family because we didn't live up to these Confucian standards. It's I got caught out and I won't I'll bring shame on myself because I don't live up to the standards of twenty first century neoliberal yeah, society yeah. or yeah. economy or whatever. Yeah.
2: Which is all identity stuff. It's not, it's not just a it's shifted from like a participation in community thing mm. and my role in community or yes. to now like my identity is because of these things. Yes. And yes. if I can't live up to that, then that brings shame. Which it, it like has so many implications and
1: and and the and the sort of Confucian idea of shame also is very much linked to commun a collectiveness yeah. a communalness. You brought shame on us. Do you know? Yeah. What I mean? yeah. And uh, I remember, I think it was at Virginia Tech. There was a math tutor who was a Korean student, and I remember in Korea, there was in Seoul, there was like people. I think maybe their family or people came forward. And sort of like publicly gave this apology and like mm. we have, you know, this has brought shame on us. Mm-hmm. And that's very different to what we talk about here, which is a much more individualistic sense of yeah. shame. And look, mm. there are individual, you know, get all technical, there are individualistic elements of shame in Confucian, concept of shame. But I think, you know, at a broad level, I think this is much more individualistic.
0: Mm. Is there anything more you wanted to explore for that one?
1: I was just going to say on Sabbath yeah. too. Like I think – and, and we'll, I'll, I'll dig into this a bit more. Like I think one of the things that um, – and maybe I'll make this point here that I think one of the mistakes that people can make at the moment is that because burnout is everywhere in the culture, it's you know very much in the Christian world, is that one of the elements of Sabbath is, well, I'll rest. Yes. But there's also another element of Sabbath is – Sabbath is also that I am – like if you look at God was able to rest on the seventh day – um, because he had created the world and there's an element there that there's chaos at the beginning of, mm-hmm. of you know, scriptures, the unformed earth, the spirit of God hovers over it and there is this concept called the chaos camp in German, the struggle or the struggle with chaos and very much in the sort of ancient Near East, the you know, like there was this motif where a God or you know would come and defeat chaos and chaos was its enemy mm-hmm. and then after the defeating of chaos, the God could rest, you know, the biblical story very much sort of plays off that subverts it. And, you know, in a sense you have these sort of imagery of sort of David having defeated his enemies, he can sort of rest in, in Jerusalem. And so there's this concept of Sabbath is very much uh, theologically about the defeat of one's enemies. So one can truly rest. Mm. Now, if you're stopping doing as much and taking Sabbath, But then the internal enemies and the concept of competition is there. You can not have your phone. You can go and sit in the mountains. But you're not truly at a biblical sense of Sabbath because you're in a war of all against all in a great neoliberal competition with yourself and with others. So you can do the whole Sabbath thing and not find true rest because you've not actually dug down to the deepest roots of our true social condition.
0: Well, we can just end the episode that <laughs> yeah. Um
1: Because what you're doing, you're doing. Sorry, you're you're, you're in a sense you're doing furniture movie You're moving the, the chairs on the you're moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. You're not actually dealing with the root of the cause. Yeah. And see, this is where I think it's really important to differentiate because I think. What we can do is we can experience burnout. And because of our cultural understanding of what is the cause of burnout comes from that first phase of neoliberalism. Well, it's working 80 hours a week. Yes. You know. And look, you know, the, the, I speak to, you know, I was speaking to a pastor, a recently retired pastor who's a baby boomer. And he, you know, he sort of made the comment to me, you know, like, oh, we work, you know, pastors work 80, 90 hours a week or something like this. And I was thinking, mm. well, you know, to be honest, a lot of the young pastors I know don't do that. Yeah yet they still feel burnt out. Yeah. This is why like I've met people who are working 3 days a week and they're like I'm totally burnt out. Yes. Um something here is not about yeah. working 80 hours a week and burning out, high stress. Are there people out there listening who that may be true 100%. Yep. But I would I would posit in this that I wonder whether many people who are talking about burnout, looking to retreat, looking to try and get more restful patterns and they're doing that by actually working less. That's not actually the cause of what's happening. Mm. The actual burnout is later neoliberalism yes. of overabundance and self-creation. But there's more.
0: There is. There's another one. Mm. Yes. Um, the last one that you want to explore yes. is the burnout of the fear of difficulty.
1: Yeah i i, um, I think I think I mentioned Mark Fisher, uh, the former uh, late British cultural critic. Um, and blogger, you know, talked about, um, I think he called it depressive hedonia, you know, which is a very technical academic <laughs> yeah. term. And what he meant by that is that he found that people uh, today and he talked about, you know, I think I did talk about this when I talked about teachers. Teachers today are stuck in this bind of having to teach kids really important stuff but then also entertain them. Yep. And Fisher talked about that and he said part of the problem is that people today, It's this is another way in which hedonism the pursuit of pleasure has changed hedonism is less like i'm going to break away from the disciplinary society like a hippie and just pure enjoy pure pleasure it's more you're expected to continually be in pleasure so the sort of contemporary person is you know always playing computer game always you know smoking dope always just you know promiscuous sex it's just like I'm doing this because this is what you're meant to do and to Mm. not be in a state where I'm experiencing some kind of pleasure would mean that something's wrong. So unless I'm continually, you know, to read a book is just too much. Mm. To do a job where I'm bored, there's something wrong. So boredom, difficulty, challenge, all these things become signals that you're not experiencing something pleasurable and entertaining, so something must be wrong. So, this means that you then become tremendously afraid of difficulty. Mm. But again, to create, to work, to build something in the world, you're inevitably going to experience difficulty. Yeah. And so, I think we're also seeing this thing where people are saying, I'm burnt out, I stayed this job. And- Uh, you know, there's this person on my team and they're an absolute nightmare and I'm trying to work that through. I'm in conflict with this person. I'm just burnt out by this. Mm. Again, this is not a burnout that comes from working 80 hours a week because I don't know, you're a flight traffic controller and it's just super stressful. This is a burnout which comes from I don't have a framework for dealing with the difficulty that building something brings. Yes. And because we've also been told is uh, a parallel to these conversations around burnout is also conversations around social anxiety is actually the world of human relationships has become one where the burnout culture language is put over it because we have not been taught because again neoliberalism go back and listen to all the episodes, is something which creates greater social disconnection. Yes. So therefore we've not been adequately shaped with how to relate to other people so even that becomes a form of stress. Yes. But it's not Japanese salaryman collapsing at his desk, exhaustion. This is an exhaustion because we've not been formed to to actually work through difficulty.
0: Yeah. And it, it kind of um, also connects back to – the sermon series that you've been doing um, at Red Platforms to Pillars. And the the nature of a pillar is something that where you were talking before that your dad was saying um, a pillar is something that with, withstands stress. Yeah. And if God is building his people to be pillars, yes, we yes. must be persevering yes. and enduring challenges, mm. um, which is something that we're really not set up for.
1: No. And and one of the one of the sort of like things I'm seeing and the questions I get asked from some younger leaders is sort of how do I do ministry and not get burnt out? Mm. Now, the old answer is, well, don't work eight hours a week. Don't do this in your own strength. Make sure you, you know, be praying and you have intimacy with God and you've got a good work-life balance. But the danger is the work-life balance language and the burnout language then also doesn't address these other three that we've dealt with here. Yes. And, you know, someone could work a day or week, and if you've got to confront someone in that day or week or work through a difficult situation or experience pushback from your peers mm. or lead a project from start where you've got to win people over and you're going to have enemies. You know, we talked about, um, you know, that book Leadership on the Line where it says, mm. if you're going to lead people into growth, you are going to experience backlash and difficulty. Yes. And I think part of the danger is, you know, people sometimes say, look, I want to avoid stress, Um, And people go, oh, look, there's positive stress and the athlete who's about to do a high jump, they might feel nervousness, that's positive stress. Mm. But what I want to say here is I don't know how you do ministry without not just positive stress, but negative stress. Yeah. Now, there is a thing where, you know, we need to give everything to God and let him carry everything. But we are, you know, in the now and not yet. Yeah. And you're going to experience conflict. You're going to experience suffering. You know, for me, you know, I think about this last season, and it really, it really struck me where, you know, um, you know, we've been through a difficult period at church, coming out of COVID, other stuff, all the stuff that happens in ministry. You know, and then in the midst of that, you know, I, you know, my wife gets this, you know, cancer diagnosis and um, you know, stage four cancer diagnosis. And it was really interesting, like, People often, in very helpful ways, would sort of say, "You know, have you spoken to someone, or you know, how do you find rest?" in them? I'm just like, "There's just no chance." Like I, I remember, you know, like I had to when Trudy was going through chemotherapy. You know, I had to do all the stuff for the kids. You're you're, you're you know looking after your wife. You're doing all of this, leading the church. There was no way that I could have constructed all of that to be this life giving mm. arrangement of rest and. And life, work-life balance, mm. you know, Trudy was in hospital at times. Like, And I think it, it just really said something to me that I think there's a, a huge danger at the moment that we can see that you there's almost a myth that can appear in reaction to some bad habits of the past that one can do missional ministry and do that in this perfectly, find the perfect arrangement, life hacks. Yeah. And where you're not going to experience some pretty significant stress mm. and or suffering and difficulty, yeah. And you know, I think that part of saying yes to God is that it's yes to that, yeah. you know. And I think it's very biblical.
0: Hundred percent. It's all throughout Scripture. Yes. Like, um, I well, I think of James one mm. in particular. But then, as you were talking, I thought of something else. But I'll just mm. read out part of James one, um. That many will know. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It doesn't say that you might. It Mm. assumes that you will. um, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mm. And it goes on. That whole passage is really great. But then it also makes me think of um, the Psalm 1 Mm. um, passage that we've talked about before. And, you know, you could read the Psalm 1 passage and think about, you know, I'm going to be a tree planted by streams Mm. of living water and I'm I'm just going to live my life at the river. Mm. But living your life at the river is a posture of your heart rather than creating circumstances that mean that you are not facing stress, right? Yes,
1: yes, yes. Yeah. And also that passage also talks about bearing fruit or, you know, yeah. in, in different bearing, seasons.
0: Yielding fruit in season, you know, yeah.
1: And 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 there's going to be difficult seasons. And, and you know, I think one of the dangers is that at a moment where I see such a tremendous opportunity in the world, um, missionally I think there is an evangelistic opportunity as people are questioning all of this cultural order stuff that we've spoken about, mm. is that at a moment where – in a sense, the kingdom needs to advance and go forward, not an in our own strength, not by working 90 hours a week, not by, you know, not resting and never seeing your kid or, you know, doing a million flights a year or anything like that, but at this moment of advancing, as the kingdom of God is advancing in the world, in his power, not in our strength, in his, that in reaction to some of these cultural issues, we retreat. Yes. You know, and you need the moments. You know, I talked about, again, I think it was back in- um, uh, disappearing church, you know, Toynbee's withdrawal retreat pattern, which we see. Yes. Uh, but also part of that withdrawing was also withdrawing in order to see some of the idols of the culture, and actually withdrawing, as Toynbee talked about it, was actually a a, a posture of marginalisation. Sometimes, mm. you know, and I look at that, and I you know see that you know often marginalised communities actually can teach the broader community about the prophetic, you know, prophetic positioning because they've not been at the center of the culture. Mm. Um, So I think that there is a sense that, you know, God, and again, too, like this is so nuanced and, again, you know, we don't paint with a broad brushstroke here that applies Mm. to every single person. But I do think that there is a danger that at this moment uh, you see in the culture this sense of, you know, there's all these trends, you know, Quiet quitting, you know, the great resignation, go slow, work your wage. Yeah, you were um, talking about snail oh, girl. Snail girl this week. You know, this honestly, and they're making up one a week here. And you know, as this snail girl was go to snail's pace in reaction to working too much. And I get it, I get it. Like yeah. I think the corporate thing of working eight hours a week and using people's high performance, you know, we spoke about this series, like humans. Reach a level of productivity. They can't go above that by working more hours. And you know, there is this sort of Silicon Valley, mm. almost now new sort of like salary man type. I don't know, Elon Musk sort of crazy type figure who just does all this stuff. But the danger is we overcompensate in the other direction. Yeah. And and the other thing I just like to say too is like I mean, I'm very aware um, that a lot of these trends work if you're a white collar worker. <laughs> You know, and you work at a place which has got a great HR department, you know, Mm -hmm. and lots of staff. And in a time of uh, sort of low unemployment because of the demographic changes, we've spoken about this, that the danger is that um, we have to realize that there is a certain privilege around this. If you're working on a factory floor, if you're a concreter uh, and, you know, you tell your boss and you've got to lay concrete at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning and you go, I'm just going to go slow as we're doing this. You can't go slow laying concrete, you know. So, there is an element to we have to be very careful that many people who who also then do serve in places where, you know, I mean, I've worked for, you know, the Salvation Army for 10 years. And, um, you know, there's elements where, you know, people who live on the street and and in hugely addictive backgrounds, mm. you know, there's an element where uh Yes, you need your moments of retreat, but it, it's not normal hours. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, if you're caring for someone in a, in a in a laneway in downtown who is overdosing, you know you can't. Oh, it's t- it's it's time to go home now. Sorry, guy. You know, like yeah. so. Um, yeah, I just think it's important to to understand that uh, God actually builds us in moments of difficulty. So I mm. think it's the two. I think this is a balance. Do we need, you know, we need rest. We need retreat. But it's also a balance that also there's going to be times of difficulty, but actually that difficulty grows us in perseverance. Mm. And, you know, part of my sense is that a lot of people who have experienced that difficulty over the last few years that actually, you know, we've seen in our church – Tremendous spiritual growth in the, it. Just we were reflecting on it in our team meeting this morning, mm. which a lot of that has come through difficulties we and as a team and as a congregation have gone through. Um, and there's no way out of that. It's walking into that with God. That's what it is to be human, but it's also what it is to be a human that God is transforming as He uses things to create, not pleasure, yeah. but as James said, there perseverance.
0: Yeah. Well, I think this is um, a really helpful way to expand our understanding of, of, of burnout um, and we hope and pray that it's given you um, a bit more insight into looking at how perhaps you might be um, experiencing burnout in your own circumstances and perhaps how to approach it um, and how to seek rest and find, um, yeah, find your deep roots in, in Jesus.
1: Can can I even add to, like, I think it's, it's, it's just, as you said there, I think it's seeking rest, but it's also seeking work.
0: (laughs) Go on. Yeah. You
1: know, in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve and he gives them this, this mandate, Mm. you know, and Adam and Eve are given this task to, like God brings order out of chaos, Mm -hmm. uh, empowered by the spirit. We're called to bring order out of chaos. That's, that's what we call it. You know, steward creation. Mm. And so, Chaotic situations that may be filled with pain and difficulty and building anything of worth, partnering with God in the kingdom, means you've got sort of, in a sense, come up against chaos. And this is how great things are built. And I think that we're in a moment where, you know, this podcast is called Rebuilders because mm. there's a moment of rebuilding and there's a moment of building. And so I think you're right. We need to find the patterns between rest and work. Yeah. And I just want to just say that I think there's lots of people, yeah, there are people listening out there to to the rest element and 100% want to affirm that. Yeah. But I also just want to challenge people out there that maybe you've, because of everything you've been seeing in the culture and the sense out there at the moment is like, I need to rest. What if there's actually some work that God has before you, great projects, and you're scared and, yep, and, you know, it's going to be difficult, but actually with God, he's calling you into that because that's what mm-hmm. he does because we're part of his great commission, his great mission in the world to be full of mercy and justice and to share his good news. And so l- let's rest. Let's also get to work.
0: Mm. You know, Jesus says in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Boom. We'll catch you guys next time.